Welcome to the Dripping in Black podcast, where we celebrate Black excellence throughout the Black diaspora. Here's your host, David V. Lewis. What's up, good people all across the world? This is the Dripping in Black podcast. I am your host, David V. Lewis. And per usual, we have another fantastic guest who represents Black excellence throughout the Black diaspora. Today's guest is Rayshard Tucker, a.k.a. King Ray. King Ray say hello to the world. Hello to the world. (laughs) Hello, world. How you doing? All right. So we're going to get into a little discussion. Uh, Just talk a little bit about your story. It's an interesting one. But let's begin by introducing you to our audience. If I was to say, who is King Ray? What would you say? Um, a husband, a father, a brother, a mentor, and uh, a guy from Brightmore that chases his passions and, and is uh, addicted to taking checking things off of the list, mm-hmm. bucket list, so to speak. Okay. So tell the world about Brightmore. I mean, you know, us from the city, we know about Brightmore, but give them a description around the world of what Brightmore is. <laughs> All right. So uh, it's a little neighborhood community in Detroit, uh, in between Detroit and like Old Refer, Michigan, but it's it's known as one of the worst parts in Detroit uh, on the west side. So um, if if you tell somebody you're from Brightmore and they're from Detroit, they'd be like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, but I do talk about that because, you know, a lot of my friends uh, that I went to elementary school with or say like my second grade picture or, or a fourth grade picture, like a lot of the people in that in that picture aren't here anymore wow. you know, due to something crazy in the neighborhood or they in prison or something like that. So for me to be able to make it out um, without going to prison or being shot or something like that, it's a, you know, an inspiration to the people that come from neighborhoods like that where they tell you, you know, you from here, you won't make it or, you know, get an opportunity to succeed. And uh, so I, I always bring up where I came from so that I can let people know that you too could, you know, exceed your circumstances or you don't have to just be a product of your environment. Yeah. Yeah. And that's going to be a, an interesting thing to kind of unfold as we speak. So you grew up in Brightmore. What schools did you attend? Um, I went to Burt and Murphy, uh, and then I, I tested out and I went to Martin Luther King. I was in the uh, CISC program, which is uh, mm-hmm. for commerce and international studies. So I tested there. I got accepted to CAS too, but all my cousins and my grandmother and everybody in my family went to CAS Tech. So I wanted to go to the other school. Like I, I, I've always been kind of the person that, dance to my own drum so it was you know just as good of a school and another thing like if you're from Detroit then you know that Cass and King is like Bloods and Crips almost so yeah (laughs) so my decision to go to King like made all my family mad because they all Cass alumni but (laughs) you know I just wanted to not do what everybody else is doing and then I definitely didn't want to go to Refer because I didn't think I'd make it out because that's you know, that's where all my homeboys and everybody that I grew up with. And I used to live around the corner from Redford. So, you know, it was easy to skip. It was easy to get distracted. And um, 
I made sure I got out of that situation. Yeah. Well, I, I'm happy that you went to King and I'm happy that you did it for the reasons you did it. I got a very close friend who went to Cast Tech and he just gets on my nerve with his uh Cast Tech talk. So oh, I'm, yeah. glad that, <laughs> I'm glad that there's somebody like you out there that feels the way I feel. Absolutely, um, man. So post high school, what, what goes on with you? Well, wow, so it's a lot of layers to my life. So um, after high school, I went to a Bible college called Raymond University, uh, Raymond Bible College, and then I went to okay. Roberts University too. So um, in my younger days, I was, um, I got saved at like 16 years old, and then um, I went into like actually speaking and preaching. And uh, So I went to a, a Bible college, and I picked up, you know, pastoral studies and finance. And uh, and then out there, me and my friends started um, a, a music label. I started it off doing gospel rap music um, in the early years where it was kind of unheard of at the time. So this mm-hmm. is like 99. So it was only a couple of us doing it, 2000. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like Stump, Kirk Franklin Stumps was like a big song at the time. So yeah. Uh, so I was a gospel rapper. I had my own label, my own publishing company. Um, and we set up shows and stuff all over the country. Um, but I would do, but I had a, you know, a certificate to preach too. So a lot of the uh, churches would like our group because I could, you know, our group could speak too. So, um, and, and, you know, they'd pay us more to preach than the rap, but we sold a lot of CDs. I mean, I sold like, 5,000 CDs out the trunk, which was a lot for an independent label. Yeah. And then when I was about 23, I got a distribution deal from Sony Red, put out another album. But by that time, I had kind of been exposed to a few things in the ministry that I wasn't too happy with. And mm-hmm. I decided to step out of, you know, um, business of ministry. Mm-hmm. But, you know, even today, I really do the work in the neighborhood still. Like I'm, I'm still mentoring. I'm still helping. We're still working with women and children and protecting our people. So I haven't changed much, but I, you know, I don't do gospel music anymore. So, I mean, even my, I still rap, but it's not like gospel music, but it ain't no mm-hmm. person. Yeah. That's, that's, that's interesting. Uh, you know, it's a, I'm afraid if I go down that path, we'll really get off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So and we may have, to, we have, we have to come have you come back or sit on the panel. Yeah. Hey, that, listen. Uh, <laughs> every anytime, bro. You know, anytime. And because uh, there's yeah. a story that needs to be told, right? There's something there and people oh, yeah. need to be uh aware, right? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Yes, it's definitely a story to be told in there. And it's funny, like I went from I'm doing that and then I go into doing secular music, putting um shows together outside of the church and I end up running a nightclub. So it's like, I went from like church to the club, and, you know? So yeah. it's a, it's yeah. a, it's a lot to unpack in between there, you know? Yeah. So, and for transparency, we have like a pre recording discussion and we learned about you managing uh, a lounge. You didn't mention the, uh, the pastoral part and uh the church part in the pre-recording uh meeting so i was that was having that same thought like wow he went from this to that very interesting story in itself but let's get down to why we invited you on and you are the owner of pizza man pizza yes right so talk about that how did how did you get into that the pandemic 
actually. Uh, okay. When we had the shelter in place, um, as I was saying in our in our previous conversation, I also have an art gallery, and I'm I'm known to, been known to do events and put uh, events together. So my primary business kind of got shut down uh, because we couldn't gather. So people can't come to the art gallery and see the art or listen to the music or see a comedy show or anything else that we put on in there. Um, so we just sitting at home and me and my wife and my son, we getting pizza like every other day, you know, mm-hmm. multiple times a week. And um, another thing um, where my story is in Highland Park, I also have four other commercial properties. So this, the pizza place being the fourth, um, I got an opportunity to uh, get some space and it, uh, it had a little the ventilation uh, thing for food. Uh-huh. And um, it was already in there. So I was like, oh, man, all I got to do is add the ovens and the fryers and, you know, some refrigeration and we can start selling food. And so my wife's like, what, what kind of what you thinking about food? Because I'm not really a food guy. Uh-huh. Or, you know, like I didn't go to culinary arts school. and I wasn't trying to. But in our community, um, it's no food over there in Highland Park. Yeah. So for two miles, it's only a Coney Island in a two mile radius. And that's ridiculous when there's actually people there and especially uh, black people. So my, my primary goal was to go in and feed my people. And so it's like, well, what, what kind of food you going to sell? And I was like, pizza. <laughs> yeah. The pizza was pandemic proof. Cause it was like, even we couldn't go nowhere and because yeah. stay in the house. It was like, you could still order some pizza. So, you know, I got to kill, you know, two birds with one stone, so to speak. Um, I come up with a business that was pandemic proof mm-hmm. and um, also feed the people in my neighborhood other than this one Coney Island that didn't really, that doesn't really treat people that well. Uh, yeah. You know, some people outside of our culture, when they feel like they're the only one servicing, they feel like they can kind of treat you and talk to you uh, a certain way. And I don't appreciate that, but instead of, you know, trying to boycott that place. I just gave you something better across the street. We treat you better. We speak to you. Yeah. And it's funny, like that Coney Island, they used to, uh, you know, close on Sundays. Now they open on Sundays. <laughs> they used to, <laughs> you know, treat you real bad. Now they, how you doing? You know what I mean? <laughs> but, you know, that's the kind of pressure that I wanted to apply anyway. Like, yeah. if you're going to be here, you're going to treat us like human beings. You're going to be respectful. Um, and if not, we'll create things around you so that we don't have to come to you. Yeah. No. And that's, that's such a low standard to have, you know, just treat us like human beings. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was about to say, I could go down a whole rabbit hole about the fact that we are actually fighting for civil rights. Like yeah. we're, we're fighting for you to be decent to us. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. In America right now, you can get in trouble, you know, more for fighting some dogs than shooting a black man and uh, you know that's yeah. unfortunate and you know it's it's a sad story about America but you know I think in the next few years I think we'll I think we'll apply enough pressure that you know things will start changing and like I said instead of me crying about it you know I jump in the street and put my own skin in the game and we we change things so at my art gallery we did a, a like a protest mural so it's it's a big 36 hundred square foot picture of Malice Green with a scroll with all of the names of people that's been um, uh, brutalized by the police and killed that were unarmed. 
Um, we try to go back to 1979, uh, but it's too many names. So then we try to go to like 92 and it's too many names. So it's like now it's about a few years worth of names and, uh, and, and then some of the ones you know. And so, but anyway, so we, um, during that time where George Floyd had passed away, we had a silent march in Highland Park and it actually ended in front of the uh, a mural that we did. Okay. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm really interested about uh, that, but I'm also interested about the piece of man, uh, piece of business. So it's one of those things that COVID actually helped to create. Absolutely. Right? Yes. So I'm curious, how do you, how do you, obviously you have some things already in place, right. To, to set you up to do that, but walk me through the steps to get you from the idea of a piece of man uh, business to actually opening it. Okay. So um, first was the idea. So I was like, okay, we're going to sell pizza. And they're like, all right, what you going to call it? I'm like, pizza man. <laughs> like, that's what everybody ever called the delivery man, you know. <laughs> yeah. Pizza man coming, pizza man at the door, you know. And so I, you know, I, you know, looked it up to see if anybody had the name. And I was like, nobody has his name. <laughs> In shock. Boom, boom, here we go. You know what I'm saying? Pizza man, pizza LLC, let's go. Um, and after that, um, what originally happened was the it had came across my table that you can um franchise a little Caesars for fifteen thousand mm-hmm. dollars. And so I was like, well, if you could franchise for fifteen thousand dollars, I could probably start one with fifteen thousand mm-hmm. dollars. And so um, you know, normally I take like my own personal money. This time I went into my family's account, like me and my wife's money. Um, and I was like, baby, we gonna we gotta do this ourselves. So we just took fifteen thousand dollars and um started buying up stuff and uh, the rest was history. Really just you know, you set up the account, um, you open the, open your businesses, open your business account, um, like any other business. So, you know, you establish um, you know, L L C or incorporate however your preference is based off of whatever decisions you make. Tax ID, open up a bank account. Um, and then what we did was we went to wholesalers and opened up those accounts like Restaurant Depot, GFS, um, you know, wherever we can get food wholesale, Sam's Club. Mm-hmm. And then we took some time and we just kind of was making pieces, like just burning up pieces to uh, create a style. Because mm-hmm. um, not only do I want to just sell a piece, I want it to be a special experience. So it's a unique piece of experience. So, um, you know, when you come or if you Google uh, Pizza Man Pizza in Highland Parks, you're going to see all these pictures of this funny looking pizza, like it's a, an original style of pizza. So what happened was we had came up with a style and, you know, we felt good about it. So we started practicing that like you would normally do before you open. And um, we were going to open for just like some family and friends to come and try it. And so we like, we got this style. It's unique. And then one of my guys messes up the pizza and another guy fixes it or tries to fix it. And um, it's like a braid almost he put around the pizza. And I was like, mm-hmm. that looked kind of sexy. Let's see if that could do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, I'm sorry. Um, so put it in the oven and um, it came out and it was like, oh, yeah, 
now we got it. You know what I'm saying? So, um, so what people most uh, like about the pizza is that it's unique. And uh, when you bite into the crust, it has the toppings in it too. Mm-hmm. It's a technique uh, that we created right in there. So mm-hmm. I'm in the process of patenting that as, you know, pizza man style of pizza. Because um, no, nobody nowhere else uh, does it at this time. Um, yeah. Don't man. So, so a couple of questions. Uh, how long has has Pizza Man been open? Uh, since January. Okay. And, like, and how's it going? How's it How's it going? Oh man, fantastic! Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm actually. I don't know if I can be at liberty to really say it yet, but I'm actually. Uh, now we have a deal with a major retailer. For taking baked pizzas and all of that to come out in September, you know, September. Um, and uh, so in a couple of months, we'll, we'll be launching a new thing and it'll be in, in a lot of stores. So okay. uh, it's a, a beautiful situation. And uh, so it's been a, it's been a major blessing. It's been an overpouring of support. Uh, we've been busy every day. Um, I'd say in a year's time, it's going to completely change uh, my family financially. Uh, and it's looking to be one of the best investments that I've done ever. Yeah, man. So having just met you, man, I'm already inspired by you. Um, you see an issue, you address the issue. You don't complain about the issue. Maybe you do complain, but you don't stay there, right? And then you you do something about it. So let's delve a little bit into the art gallery how that came about give us a name you know and what's going on with it right now it's uh it's called hamilton tucker art gallery um and um again it wasn't a lot of places for the eccentric artists from here to show their stuff yeah and um what happened was it was actually inspired by i used to have a loft on top of a, a club downtown called nikki's so I used to live on the sixth floor in a loft on top mm-hmm. of a club called Nikki's. Yeah. And um, it was, you know, like you look out the window and the people move or go past my window. And it was a really cool spot. So a lot of artists would like to try and show their stuff there. So mm-hmm. it'll be a lot of private parties and showings and, and things of that nature. So what happened was um, I lived there and they didn't do well with repairs and so like something would go wrong and they'd be like well can you fix it and uh take it out of your rent (laughs) give us the receipt and we'll deduct that from your rent and like you know after like two or three times man i'm like (laughs) i can buy my own thing and take it out my rent when i need to fix something you know what i mean so um I told my girl, my wife now, but my girl at the time, I said, look, I'm about to come out of this loft and I'm going to buy a building and, and fix it up. And, you know, um, a, a tangent to that story is um, it was a building that I wanted to do a, a haunted house in. and I'm, I'm an event planner, so <laughs> I want to do this event um, in this church, the old church building. And the pa- so I was asking the pastor, like, can I rent it for two months? And he was like, well, you know, if you add a couple zeros to it, you could just buy it. <laughs> and it was like right at the time that I was like, I'm about to buy a building anyway, you know. 
Mm-hmm. And so he gave me a number. I said, can I pay it off in 12 months? He said, yeah. Um, can we do a contract to pay it off in 12 months? So I move out of the loft. I move in with my girl, which was kind of uncomfortable. Yeah. But I took my money that I was paying in rent and the money that I was making from the club and I bought my own building. And um, then we start fixing it up. I had my first show. It was a comedy show in there. It wasn't even art. It was like a comedy show, which is an art form. So uh, mm-hmm. to me, all is fair and, uh, and, and music. So that's how we started the uh, How Much Tucker Art Gallery. It was really, um, I was running a club at the time. And it was a lot of parties and things that people wanted to do. A lot of a lot of things that people wanted to do that wouldn't fit in the club, like logistically. Yeah. Logistically, we made a certain amount of money in bar sales, so we'd average like seventy six hundred on a Saturday. Now you got this really cool art show with some R and B music playing and, and some paintings, but um, it probably won't do seventy six hundred on an average. So yeah. I can't do it on a Saturday, but that doesn't mean that it's not dope. And it yeah. doesn't mean that we shouldn't do it on Saturday. So my goal was to create a place that we could display a more artsy type of party and put it uh, on Saturdays without the pressure of trying to deliver that bar sale. Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, dope stuff. I feel like we can probably talk on and on and on. Uh, I do want to zone in on a few things. Um, I'm an educator by trade. And one of the things that I, high school, one of the things that I try to impart upon students is, um, you know, there's just a lot of different ways that you can take your life after high school. Absolutely. You know what I mean? And I'm interested in your story. And, you know, I just don't think when you've graduated high school, you thought I'm going to be a pizza man, pizza owner, you know? So you got there um, organically, right? What's, uh, my question is, What's um, a common thread that kept you throughout from high school to where you are now that allowed you to get to where you are? I always chased fulfillment. Okay. It wasn't about money. I always wanted to be fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I always wanted to control the land under my feet. Okay. Um, so... But even in high school, actually, to tell you the truth, in high school, I had a candy business with three employees. <laughs> so, so I've heard the candy business part before, but I have never heard of the employees as well. Yeah, I had. Um, <laughs> it was me and my boy Steve. And then we had two more people in other schools. <laughs> I was making about two hundred and fifty dollars a day in high school and it was like you couldn't tell me I wasn't gonna be a millionaire by 21 you know (laughs) but I've I've always been um trying to get to earn money and do things that people couldn't take away from um and as I grow up older and being an African-American it's probably just some deep-seated trauma that was passed on from my grandfathers and stuff because so many things were taken away from African-Americans or when we try to get a job, you know, we got to do three times the work to get, you know, a third of the recognition. And I always was in, in a space where I don't like 
people to um, not just I don't like people telling me what to do, but like I don't want another person that based on their emotions to be able to control the outcome of my life. So yeah. I've always wanted to. I put my own money in, um, and I've always been hustling. Like, mm-hmm. I I remember when I started the candy thing. I had came to my mother and was like, uh, "Can I borrow fifty dollars and can you get a Sam's Club membership?" And she was like, <laughs> "What?" You know, <laughs> I'm like, you know, the Decca store only sells certain stuff. The vending machine is too high. I'm going to sell the stuff in the vending machine at a realistic price. And uh, because I was a decent student and I'm, you know, mannerable and everything. So the, the teachers didn't mind me doing like one of my, my econ teacher would let me do the first five minutes of class in candy sales just because it was a lesson in economics as well as. Um, Wait a minute. So they actually taught economics in school. Yeah, I was. We were blessed to have a. Um, a I'm, teacher being, and, I'm being facetious because yeah, you know they say we don't teach these things in school, and I'm like, uh, I don't know about that. Maybe you weren't paying attention. <laughs> but go no, on. <laughs> I don't know more about me that. than you. Sorry about yeah, that. No, I know, but like there is a a a, a paradigm that happens in school and a thought process. Yeah. Um, I think that um, a lot of school or the thought line of school is to teach people how to be good enough to get a job. Yeah. Um, and I don't believe that that is the right way to handle, especially an African-American man where those people don't want to give me the job. Right. So I can't just be good enough to get the job. Right. I have to find ways to create residual income. I have to find ways to be my own boss because my name is Ray Shard. I don't pass the the resume test. You know right. who I am off rip, you know. Yep. Um, and so those are things that we have to um so I think more in our neighborhoods, um, it should be an emphasis on entrepreneurship, real estate. And investor trading, um, you know, skills, sets, mechanic, plumber, you know, things of that nature, because those are jobs that we can make a lot of money on our own yeah. without, you know, passing the resume test or the yeah. paper bag test or, you know, um, and I, I think that those kind of things we need exposure to uh, in our neighborhoods because that doesn't get talked about enough. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I would say it's a both and. I think we need all avenues open to our, our kids, not just this one size fit all. And, you know, you got to get A's and B's and go to college type deal. That is a good avenue for some. Right. And if you want to be a doctor or a lawyer or engineer or teacher, like, yeah. it's no way around that. You know what right. I mean? Um, but I think... Um, you know, like people going to school for liberal arts, like you waste them money. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Um, no doubt. You waste you you waste them money. Somebody should be like, okay, what are you passionate about? And then we start to develop those things. Um, so, yeah, I, we'll, we'll have to talk more. Yeah, I was gonna say I I, I, I didn't mean to run off on a tangent about it, Bruh, but I, mean, I got so many things right? that we can talk about. It's ridiculous uh, that I've learned in the last ten minutes, and uh, so we'll definitely chop that up. 
I want to ask this question um, again, because it's about inspiring. We're celebrating who you are and what you've done, but inspiring people that may be a younger version of yourself. So like, what are some of the challenges that you had to overcome to get to, let's just do, I know it's a bunch, so let's just deal with the piece of business alone. Right. Um, challenges to overcoming in the, in the piece of business is, you know, pretty much the same, like funding. Um, like I pretty much had to get it out the mud, so to speak. Mm-hmm. It's no lending institution that will give you a loan to start your business that you just started. You need mm-hmm. like two years of financials and like, how do you get two years of financials? And it didn't exist before that. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, so I would say the hardest part is, is starting. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that a lot of us have a lot of great ideas, but we tend to try and wait for the perfect weather or mm-hmm. the right amount of money to start. And um, sometimes you got to just leap. Yeah. And, um, and inspiring the next person to come, I would say, um, do it. Mm-hmm. Actually do it. You know, if you need money, try to work harder at whatever job you have take that money and continue to flip it. Like I said, I've I've had parties to buy a building. You know, take whatever your thing is, parties, or you work at McDonald's and you make $200, you know, add some extra hours on there so that that other 150 that you make in overtime or extra hours, you put that away and, you know, in 10 months you got $1,500 and you take that $1,500 and uh, you know, put it into whatever you're trying to do and then continually work yourself out of working. Now, what I would suggest to a, my younger me would be, you know, keep, keep the job and just take <laughs> money from the job. Like I've got off the cliff, like, man, you know. Um, so I got an interesting question. I, I wonder, and this just popped up in my mind. Would you, if you could go back in time, knowing what you know now and knowing that you took your own money and did it, you now you go back in time and now somebody is really willing to, to loan that money to you. Would you still stay the path that you took now, knowing what you know now? Um, depends on the terms. Okay. Um, like if somebody believed and they're like, you know, give me it a percentage on the back end or pay me back X amount of dollars in interest. Uh, those types of situations I would take. Mm-hmm. Now you got a different kind of investor where people give you the money and then they think they own you because of that. Mm-hmm. And then, so depending on the situation and the terms, I, if, if I would lose my creativity or my freedom, then no, I wouldn't take it. But okay. if it was in a situation that was digestible, yeah. And um, also what I would tell myself in the past is that um, I remember when I was younger, everything had to, I felt like I was running out of time. I felt yeah. like everything had to happen right away and I ain't got time. Yeah. Um, you know, opportunities aren't, aren't always there, but you have 
forever to prepare yourself. You have, you know, four years of studying something. There's no time, really. Mm-hmm. You know, I, yeah. I was actually just telling my godson, who just graduated from high school, um, that I still have fresh memories in my head from when I graduated from high school with your dad. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And that feels like yesterday, and that was 20-something years ago. Yeah. Um, so what I would tell my younger self is, you know, four years to plan something in a long time. Yeah. Two years to build your credit ain't going to kill you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you go into school, the four or eight years for your degree is not really that bad um, if that's the lane you're going in. Um, yeah. On the flip side, if you want to be an entrepreneur, I would pay my dues being an entrepreneur. Yeah. And again, this is my opinion. You know, it's not. I would, being an entrepreneur, I would spend more time being an entrepreneur yeah. than going to college. Yeah. Um, I would do whatever, continue education seminars within yeah. what I'm trying to do. Yeah. I would do that. Um, and I actually left school after my associate's degree uh, from Oral Roberts because of my econ teacher saying something crazy in class. So what happened was I'm sitting in the third row. And at this time, I used to manage a swing dance club. <laughs> and um, we used to have like Christian parties, like big Christian parties while I was in college. So I'm making a lot of money. I got like $4,000 in my pocket on the regular as a 20 year old, you know, mm-hmm. um, and I'm not a dope dealer. So it was, you know, that's a decent amount of money, you know. Yeah, um, no doubt. <laughs> so we make, you know, 8,000, 4,000, 10,000 on parties. And, um, so I, I, and then I used to work for a credit card company and I made like $16 an hour back when gas was 70 cents. So, you know, I was mm-hmm. doing pretty well for a young person. And, yeah. But anyway, so I'm sitting in the econ class and I'm in the third row. Now, at this point, I got employees, everything. Um, you know, the smart kids are in the first two rows and it's some the stadium seating style classroom. Yeah. So the guys in the back are like throwing papers at each other or cracking jokes and everything. And the people in the front are like, oh, we trying to learn, you know, um, and complaining about them making a lot of noise. So my economics professor said, looks up, he says, hey guys, um, settle down. These guys are trying to learn, you know. Then he turns to the kids in the first two rows and say, you know, don't get mad, don't get too mad at them because statistically one of you guys is going to work for one of those guys up there. <laughs> because, <Wow. laughs> yeah. So statistically, the C student, the guy who drops out, ends up being the CEO. And the people who get A's and B's end up being middle management for the CEO guy who didn't even finish. (laughs) So I'm sitting in the middle like, what am I doing here? You know, know, I want to create jobs. I want to get a job for one of these dum-dums in the back. You know, Uh, that day I, I, I called my mother. Uh, right after class, and I said, Ma, I know you want me to get this degree, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to stop here at my two-year um, because 
this isn't the place for me. I want to create jobs. I don't want to get a job. And just based off of the situation that I just heard, I don't, I'm not about to give them more money, you know, to, yeah. to, to be something that I'm not trying to be. And, um, you know, that's it. I'm sorry. No, no, that's, that's, uh, that's great, man. That's a, a great story. A great lesson. It's a great dynamic. Um, it's scary as well. Uh, <laughs> that means the world is being uh, owned by dum-dums. Uh, so I don't know. Uh, I don't know if that's completely accurate, but you know, I, I can see the, the sentiment of the uh, teacher as well, but yeah. uh, we definitely will have to, uh, wind this particular episode down i want to give you a chance to uh list off some of the things that uh, you have going for you so we know we got the piece of man but also the art uh, place uh, list the names and if you have social media list those off for us as well um piece of man pizza uh piece of man uh on instagram it is piece of man hp on Facebook is Pizza Man Pizza HP. Uh, the Hamilton Tucker Art Gallery is HamiltonTucker.com. Hamilton Tucker, um, everything on social media. Uh, myself is uh, King Ray Tucker on IG, Twitter, anything. You can type King Ray Tucker in the pop up Ray Shar Tucker on Facebook as well. Um, you'll see. So far, I've I've had an interesting ride. So. You'll see some 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 uh, great stories about things that I've done in in our social media um, places I've been, uh, things that we've started. You'll see pictures of me um, serving the community. Uh, you'll see you know my family life, yeah. um, and then pizza man pizzas. It's so important because I actually don't know of a black pizza parlor. Um, and then that we started in the neighborhood and then that we'll be able to be in some retail shops. It's like we're making black history every day, yeah. you know, and it's just something that me and my wife are really proud of and that we've been able to uh, take care of some families in the same um, aspect as give people great food. And it's been a, a tremendous amount of support. You know, please come see us at Pizza Man Pizza. We're on DoorDash. We're on Grubhub. Um, and you can walk in the store and then pretty soon we'll be in a retailer where you can uh, come and pick up pieces as well. Um, but yeah, so the pizza is, is so important because it's like we feeding our people, but it's, it's also giving our neighborhood uh, self-esteem and something to be proud about. And so I stand outside and I talk to the people uh, we're next to a gas station. So, you know, the, the gas station people who ask for money, you know, they, I talk to them, mm-hmm. I, I feed them, I pay them to clean up the parking lot. Um, I give guys jobs to pass out flyers. Um, I also show our employees how to start businesses uh, of their own. So we, we dive into what your passion is and we help you. I want to be a launching pad for the next thing or whatever you're trying to do that you don't just stay here and work forever, yeah. that you actually create a pizza man of your own. So we, um, you know, we try to do that as well. Okay. All right. We will have to uh, stop there. I have one more question. 
Um, the final question of all of our podcasts is a very simple one, but it's the most important one. And that is, have you ever been on the cover of a magazine? Mm. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Do you remember the uh, magazine? Uh, it was like an independent music magazine uh, called Elements with a Z. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, that was for no, your, uh, it was for music. That was for your uh, um, your your religious hip hop. Yeah. Um, okay. All right. Other than that, no. Okay. Well, I mean, you've you've lived a pretty interesting life thus far, and it's only fair that you uh, make it to a, a magazine cover, in my opinion. And so okay. one of the things you get when you come on the Dripping in Black podcast is you get featured on the Dripping oh, in Black okay. cover. <laughs> All right, that's cool, man. All right. <laughs> you are a Dripping in Black alum from season two, and that is your Dripping in Black cover. I appreciate that, man. Yeah. I need one of those to put on the wall, like how you got it in the back there. We will package it up for you and uh, mail it out to you. We'll get it out to you. That is a parting gift. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to put a stipulation on this one uh, with the stipulation that you come back and talk to us a little bit more because just, just much more for us to kind of kick it around about. Absolutely. Love (laughs) you, man. Uh, Thanks for having me, you know, first and foremost. And, uh, I'm very proud of what you guys are doing with the Dripping in Black platform. Um, like, that's an amazing thing. And, and, it's, and more stories need to be shared like this. Um, I see some people on the wall that you've interviewed before. Um, I'm very proud of them as well. So it's really cool to see um, our people getting celebrated. And I'm, I'm glad that you guys are celebrating, you know, Black people on this platform. Yeah, well, we thank you again for gracing us with your presence and we ask the audience to hang on for the last segment the last drip thanks again to king ray tucker rayshard tucker peace of man pizza all right up next the last drip but first a message from anchor A Dripping in Black thanks to Rayshard Tucker, a.k.a. King Ray, for sharing his inspiring story of Brightmore kid turned successful businessman. However, we have reached the final segment of our podcast called The Last Drip. The Last Drip is the last opportunity for us to squeeze in a bit more Black excellence for you. In this final segment, we highlight a common thread between our guests and our vast and rich African-American history. For this episode, we head to the South to honor the legacy of Black entrepreneur Arthur G. Gaston. Born in 1893, Gaston grew up in the small town of Demopolis, Alabama. When Gaston returned home after serving in the Army during the World War I era, he began his entrepreneurial pursuits by selling meals and affordable burial insurance to the Black community. In 1923, He started the Booker T. Washington Insurance Company with just $500. In the late 1930s, he opened an insurance company and funeral home in downtown Birmingham, Alabama. In the early 1950s, he opened the state's only Black-owned savings and loan. Arthur Gaston became one of America's first 
black serial entrepreneurs. Gaston developed a business empire estimated at more than $30 million, which included the Smith and Gaston Funeral Home, the Gaston Motel, and the Citizens Federal Savings and Loan. By the 1960s, Arthur G. Gaston was probably the richest black man in America, as well as a leading employer of blacks in Alabama. Gaston was also a sponsor of black cultural events, as well as a major financial contributor to the civil rights movement of the 1950s and 1960s. Throughout his adult life, Arthur Gaston mirrored his success in business with his behind the scenes financial backing in the fight for black civil rights. For his tremendous life and legacy, Arthur G. Gaston is this episode's last drip. For more on Arthur G. Gaston, check out blackpass.org, npr.org, and kinginstitute.stanford.edu. The story of Arthur Gaston is just another example of the untold and undertold stories of Black excellence. Anything that you can think of that is excellent in this country and in this world, Black people have done it. I just implore you to go out and search our history. Remember, it's not taught in our schools as it should be, but it's a plethora of examples of Black excellence if you so choose to seek it. All right, so that's my last opportunity to implore you to do that for this episode, but I'll be coming back with another one next time around. My thanks to my audience. Remember, you can find us on all major platforms for your audio podcast experience, but also on the DIBK channel on YouTube. Also subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. We want your comments. Feel free to like and share. All right, that'll close us out. And until next time, be kind, be loving, and be excellent on purpose. It is a choice. You have just experienced a Dripping in Black production.